Today on the show, we're talking about rethinking emergency funds. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with Trevor, and we're talking about a subject we haven't talked about in quite some time. We're talking about emergency funds. Yeah, and I consider this a pillar of personal finance, and in the past I have said without question, everybody, everybody who who spends money or has financial responsibilities needs an emergency fund. But I have recently had my mind slightly altered by Mr. Money Mustache. Now, we've talked about Mr. Money Mustache on the podcast before. He's got a blog, and now he has a YouTube channel. And I'm a big fan of his his stuff, and I think everybody that listens to podcasts should read his material. But he has given me some food for thought regarding emergency funds, and we're going to share that with you in the show. But before we get to today's episode, where we just have uh, we have two emails we want to touch on from last week's episode dedicated to Costco. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. It's it's where we discussed Costco and everything around Costco and having a Costco membership. So I, I kind of figured that what we were going to get is a uh, we. I so I kind of suggested that. Do you really save money at Costco? Is kind of what the the whole episode was about that, and I wondered if if everybody really saves as much as they think they are. And so I expected to get a lot of feedback saying, you know, people defending their Costco memberships. But oddly enough, that the a lot of the feedback we got back was was just the opposite. So one listener email is from an individual named John and. Uh, he want, he he just wanted to kind of chime in with his thoughts about his Costco membership. He's maintained one for five years. He only uses it to buy groceries. Uh, he primarily stocks up in items such as rice, peanut butter, and large quantities of meat that are portioned out and frozen, um, including frozen fish. Also, toilet paper and paper towel are things that are purchased here, as well as big containers of palm oil um, every six months or so, uh, refilled into a smaller container. And um, he says that they, they do buy some things like fruit and veggies. However, just be, because it is a, um, a two-person household, um, they, they generally do not purchase these things there just because they are um, perishable. So generally, his rule is anything non-perishable and freezable are definitely of value. And one thing I got from John's email is, is he does not succumb to the shiny stuff when you walk in the door at Costco. So hats off to him for putting the blinders on it and heading straight to the food aisles. And another email that we got that is definitely worth mention is um, from a listener named Ron. And Ron said, in addition to the reasons given, how about the new stories from Lang- a new story from Langford, BC, where a woman me- wheels a machete to get a parking spot at Costco. Now, anyone who's tried to park at Costco, it's, it's insane. And they have quite often on a Saturday, they have police directing traffic. So, you know, you don't have to have too wild of an imagination to see this this machete thing unfolding at a Costco parking lot. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, Ron goes on to as well to say that he did have a Costco membership uh, for, it sounds like for a year, um, where he used uh, the Costco membership to purchase winter tires and rims. However, he did not renew the following year. Um, he did note that the waiting, the lines to wait to pay are are long and uh, he feels not worth it. Now, I've only been in two Costcos in my entire life and the two times I, w- I was in there, the lines were enormous. I mean, th- not... And they, they, they maintained an enormous length. Like, it's not like it was, I happened to show up at a busy time. Both times, 
from the minute I walked into the minute I walked out, the lineups were like 20 people, you know, would, would have been the shortest line. So it, it was a crazy amount of line. I do think that, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will agree with this, but I, I would assume that the weekdays um, will, I'm sure the lineups were, are not going to be as bad as during the weekends. But I mean, to you, Trevor, you, you do work Monday to Friday. So I mean, the weekend would be your the day that you would visit. And if you could go to Costco between the hours of nine to five, Monday to Friday, I, I'm guessing the lineups are pretty short. So if you have that option, maybe that that's not an issue. All right, so with with kind of that out of the way, let's jump into today's show. And Trevor, I was so intrigued about today's episode topic because the first the first word there is rethinking. And you kind of spoke to that right when we kind of started off that you uh, for so long had maintained this single perspective, this really per- this really kind of firm perspective. Last time we did the show, and maybe up till you were re- you were inspired to kind of change your viewpoint. But I mean, maybe we can link for our listeners uh, the kind of that what you, that video that you saw that kind of changed your whole outlook and perspective. I mean, it must have been pretty moving to to kind of alter that altogether. Well, if you think of, think what it would take to shift my my mindset on used cars, right? Like nothing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> exactly. So emergency funds, I kind of felt the same way, but when I watched this video of Mr. Money Mustaches, I I could not, and I rarely can't disagree with anything he says. So he makes a, a really strong argument for a very small, what I consider a very small subsection of society that does not need an emergency fund. So just to divert, can you, can you want to just talk about Mr. Money Mustache, just kind of um, a little bit of a teaser for anyone who's maybe wondering who he is and why he has a such a powerful wield over your opinion? So Mr. Money Mustache actually is from Canada. So he's he's a he was born in Canada. He lives in the United States. He, he actually went to school in Canada, graduated, got a job in the United States and got a citizenship there and continues to live there today. He, him and his wife worked on, and they both retired at age 30, which that's insane, right? 30. They, so yeah. so it, you you have to imagine his story is pretty solid. But uh, he's just a, he's a really entertaining writer. Like his writing is really engaging. So I, well, I'll put a link to his website as well. But I, I got to think most people listen to this podcast. They've heard me mention him. But Mr. Money Mustache, the thing that'll suck you in is he has an article. It's called The Shockingly Simple Math to Early Retirement. And again, just like the emergency fund, he he does some very simple math to say this is basically how he retired at thirty and what you would have to do. So it it that was the article that got me. And actually, I'll specifically link to that article. If you read that article and you you buy into his philosophy, you will like everything on his website. I, I guarantee it. So uh, let's I, uh, this episode really again. It's in the title. We're dedicating it to emergency funds. I feel like it is emergency fund is that word just like um, saving for retirement. I feel like it's that word that's kind of lingers in the back of our head that we're always subconsciously worried about, but we don't know actually how to execute effectively within our life or even how to go about it or, or how to even conceptualize that if we've never really kind of ventured um, towards developing emergency fund or exploring it ourselves. Um, so, so I guess to lead it off this discussion off, Trevor, what is an emergency fund? How, how would you define it? Well, for the average person, their emergency fund is their credit card, right? And that is just a, a slippery slope. And it, you're, if it works for you once, 
you know, great. If it works for you a second time, you know, your credit card has some space on it and emergency comes up and, you know, that's your solution. So it works twice. Eventually it's not going to work, right? It might even work a third time depending on the size of the emergency, but eventually you are going to run out of credit. So credit is not a sustainable solution to life's emergencies. So for most people, that's what it is. But an emergency fund, what it, what it, my definition of emergency fund is three to six months of survival expenses. So we talked about having a budget and how that's not an option. It's a requirement in personal finance. So if you look at your budget, uh, we've talked about how you design it and you would have your your discretionary expenses and your non-discretionary expenses. So non-discretionary are, are really represent your survival expenses, meaning if, if a Holocaust or, or disaster strikes, these are the expenses you cannot get rid of. These are the ones that keep you off the street. So an emergency fund, it consists of three to six months of survival expenses. So that's not Netflix. That's not dining out. That's none of the comforts of life. Just what you, you need to feed you, keep a roof over your head, keep the lights on, keep your home heated. That is your survival expenses. In three to six months, if you have any resourcefulness at all, if if disaster strikes, I would think the average person, and I'll say here's a disaster, you lose your job, so you have no income. So I'm going to think if you're resourceful or at any level, you you will find a way to get income inside of three to six months. So even if you have to move, you'll find a way to get income. So that that's how that I kind of arrive at that window. And any more than that, and it just becomes... It, it, I could easily say you should have 12 months of survival expenses. Well, that's a lot of money to tie up that you may never need. And it it just becomes this thing. It becomes such a large thing to achieve that a lot of people just say, you know what, I can't get there. So I think three to six months is, is achievable and it it's reasonable to, to insulate you from life. And I like to think of an emergency fund. So a lot of people want life insurance. If you have dependents, you should have life insurance. I like to call this living insurance. So this is this insulates you from from life. This this is a, a buffer between life's unfortunate events unfolding in front of you and you surviving them. Wow. So I I have so many questions from from that definition alone. So I want to go back to the credit card thing. I mean, I. I swore I heard heard a couple listeners being like, but Trevor, that is my emergency fund. It's been working for me for years. Why all of a sudden are you telling me that my credit card is not going to work? What what if I am, what if over the course of five years, emergencies have come up, real emergencies, I've paid off my credit card and I'm plodding along just fine. So you're telling me that that's eventually not going to work all of a sudden. Well, it's flawed in a couple of ways. So one is just say, you use your credit card to buy groceries, you use your credit card to buy a new refrigerator. And these are planned purchases, right? This is, these are emergencies. These are planned purchases. So you, and then all of a sudden the transmission goes in your car and now you use your credit card to replace the transmission, knowing you will not be able to pay the balance off at the end of the month. So now you've kind of clouded the waters. You don't know if you're paying for emergency the, you, the emergency you solve with your credit card or if you're paying for the fridge you bought or you're paying for the groceries you buy like it just becomes a cesspool of of spending and you're you're unable to pull out what what was the emergency what wasn't it's just it's just a bunch of money you owe and then you end up in a 
a cycle of debt. You 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 carry you carry, carrying a balance and you don't know why. Twelve months you still have this balance. You think it might be related to your transmission, but it could be the refrigerator you bought because those the refrigerator was a planned expense. You you had the money to cover that, but you used your credit card for the rewards. But the transmission on your car wasn't, but it happened in the same month. So then it just becomes this cloudy mess, and you, you trying to decipher. Am I out of debt? Am I still paying for the fridge? Am I still paying for the transmission? And before you know it, you just get okay with debt. And that's and you you actually convince yourself, oh, I'm carrying this balance because of the emergency, my transmission. When really, it's, it starts growing and accumulating with dining out and all sorts of other comforts of life. So I, I just think there's a control issue using your credit card to solve emergencies. Even if it does work, it, if you end up carrying a balance in your credit card, did it work? I'm going to say probably not. So it's it, that sounds like a very dangerous black hole. You can just get caught in and never get out of. And somebody, so somebody could say, okay, I, I just have a single credit card that I use for emergencies, and then I have another credit card that I use for just my day to day, month to month expenses. So that could someone could say, okay, that's my solution. In fact, I know somebody that does that. I, I still don't like it because you're you're still you're still paying for, for past decisions. It, it, it's flawed in that eventually you're going to run out of credit. And and when you talk about um, three to six months of survival expenses, you kind of define that obviously Netflix doesn't fit in there. But if we're if we purchased a uh, a sixty five thousand dollar truck. Should we be at this point when we're kind of deciding that? I mean, and again, uh, maybe I'll run through what the kind of what we're going to cover here. So we're going to cover the purpose purpose of an emergency fund, who needs an emergency fund, how to build and manage an emergency fund, and who doesn't need an emergency fund. So that's what we're covering here. So I don't want to kind of give too much away in this this question, but if we're so we have a $65,000 truck, should we be selling? Should we be I mean, we're always we always should be living spending less than we earn like we should all be doing that but should we be selling kind of the or paring down on maybe some high expense items just so we're able to build that emergency fund faster in order to get to that six month mark like how 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 much how much pressure uh, should we putting on ourselves to to build this asap if we're listening to this right now we don't currently have one and again we will cover who does need one so you mentioned, just say you had a $65,000 truck, <laughs> my favorite example, yeah. and, and just say you lost your job. And the thing is, when, when someone loses a job, it, it is in fact temporary because you're going to find another job. But temporary, if it, say that it, you don't find full-time employment beyond a six-month window, I would say that the reason the three to six months is if I lost my job and I, I have a 65000 $65,000 truck and I got $1,200 truck payments, you can't gobble up your whole emergency fund just making your truck payments at some point. So I'm going to say in in between the three to six months, if you haven't secured new employment, you have to unload that that expensive vehicle. You have to sell it. That that That's the window that you, you need to get rid of it in. Otherwise, that, your emergency funds are going to be completely consumed by this excessive truck payment. So transportation is in fact a survival expense, but there is transportation and then there's excessive transportation. So so do you live your life knowing and purchasing things and and knowing that you have to make that math work in an emergency fund? Like how how much 
how much emphasis do you place on that emergency fund and, and making sure well, you it, can cover it? If you deem your your sixty five thousand dollar truck a a the the minimum amount of transportation that meets your needs, then you clearly need a very hefty emergency fund. So you're going to pay for it one way or another. So if in fact you need this truck, just say you're a contractor and you really do need this truck, and you 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 rent you lose your job or you you get no more contracts, then you're going to have to your emergency fund will have to be big enough to pay, make those truck payments in between jobs. So I, I have three other questions before we jump on to the next kind of section here. So section or my first question, at what age, how old were you? Where were you in life when you um, a first considered an emergency fund and actually started building one? So I'm speaking from a, a position of experience in that I did use a credit card to solve my emergencies early in life. It was my go-to tool and it did run out. It, it, it got to the point where it wasn't going to solve the next emergency. And that is the point where I said, this can't continue. That this is, We are too close to the financial edge to continue using this as a solution. So it's when my I had a couple of events sort of stack up on top of each other. There was actually, I'll call it two and a half unfortunate events that kind of came up in the same month. And it was shortly after I bought my first home. And I, I was, I, I almost couldn't solve that, that, that third event. Had it been more serious, I, I would have been under, like, I, I, it would have been over, right? I, I would have had, like, I needed to solve that problem. I, I won't get into what it was. And I almost didn't have enough credit to do it. And it was once I got past that, we built a, a real emergency fund and we've never looked back. Wow, I I love the firsthand experience. You uh, you speak with so much conviction conviction when you say that credit well, is not because the way. it's 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 terrifying when you know if one more thing goes wrong, we're done. You know what I mean? It, 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 we we got nothing left. Like when you when you're staring that in the face, it is very disturbing. Do you use your credit? I know. I mean, I know you actually will get into if you have an emergency fund later in the show. But pretend you are someone who qualifies to have an emergency fund. Are do you even is that credit card the final lever? Like, do you even rely on it as a an emergency place of? Is that a lever at at, at, at or has it been a lever at any point? Well, I don't think it is. And the reason I say that is. If you've used up your emergency fund and now you're relying on credit, I'm going to say your situation is no longer temporary. It's somewhat permanent, and you need to you need to realize that and and come to grips with it. And I mean, I, a listener could also argue that I mean, Trevor, you have no current dependents within your household. If 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 we're talking to the listener right now with five kids, six kids, seven kids, um, and 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 uh, and, and a pet, I mean, that's they're going to require a bigger emergency fund. So how is that listener? How's that listener? And again, if that listener qualifies for an emergency fund, we will talk about that. But how is that listener? How's it? How's it fair for you to say that every that if if these individuals qualify for it and, and you are going to build one and that individual is going to build one, it's going to take that individual longer. So, I mean, where, where does that argument stand? Well, you, you, you mentioned like five, six or seven kids. <laughs> or four kids I, I or three any... kids. Pretend you have a family. <laughs> pretend you have a family. I'm throwing out big numbers here. I'm going big. 
Well, the more dependence you have, the more fluid your life is and the more uh, the more things that could possibly go wrong. So I, I think the more dependence you have, the more necessary an emergency fund is and probably the bigger it needs to be. Yeah, so uh, so I do want to, that's the kind of the, kind of the point I'm trying to get to is that, is it fair to admit then that it will take a little bit longer. I guess that, that individual will need a bigger emergency fund and it'll take maybe a little bit longer to build, but it's still it's still as necessary as, as someone else with maybe a smaller family, um, a different situation. They'd also need one. It's just going to look different for everyone. Well, later in the show, we've, we have a section where we're going to talk about how to build an emergency fund, which is pretty important. Like it's, it's one thing to say have one, but how do you actually get there? And uh, it's the same steps to get to an emergency fund, regardless of how big it needs to be. No, okay, yeah, and I'm looking forward to actually getting into that, diving into that. But my final question before we move on to the purpose of an emergency fund is, Trevor, I am the world's biggest optimist. Is it not the most pessimistic, pessimistic view to plan for the worst, to, to, to be preparing for something disastrous to happen? So a car is a great example. So if you own a car... And you go, you know, if it's a used car and you go, you know, maybe six months and and all you've ever done is an oil change to it, things are wearing out. You just don't know what. Or if if you've moved into a house and it has a a 25-year-old furnace, your furnace is going to go eventually. You just don't know when. There's there's a whole bunch of things that are deteriorating around you, but, but it's, your roof is deteriorating a little bit at a time. You just don't see it. So, the the more your surroundings stay the same, you, you don't you're not aware of the deterioration that's going on. And that's where you could kind of get blindsided because things things tend to wear out slowly and, and that's how you get caught off guard. So when we kind of define emergency, when it's it's we I know we are going to get on to into kind of actually defining what emergency is, but at the surface, we could, it's safe to say that it's not the uh, your your house lighting on fire. It, it, these emergencies can be more cr- just critical to your your everyday functioning. Well, these are things that you're not insured for. Like you you bought you have house insurance, you have car insurance. Those are to protect you from catastrophic events. Uh, an emergency fund is to, is to protect you from uh, just day-to-day life. So let's jump on to the purpose of an emergency fund. So you, there's there's two things here. You kind of briefly touched on both, but I, I'd love you to just kind of full out. T- tell us why why this is even a thing that exists and, and, and why it would benefit um, us to have. Well, the one thing is just say you have the discipline to build an emergency fund and in and, and and have a, the, there's another set of disciplines to not use it for things other than emergencies. That, that's a, the, so there's two skills you're going to develop with having an emergency. One is the discipline does actually save money and put money aside. And the second discipline is to not spend it on things that are not emergencies. So an emergency fund serves two purposes, and this is only two. It, it, it is in the event of a job loss and in the event of an unanticipated expense. And I'll give you an example where People, Christmas is not an unex, unanticipated expense. Birthdays are not unanticipated expenses. Vacations are not an unanticipated. This is something you, you like, okay, I mentioned a roof earlier. A roof really should not be an unanticipated expense. Roofs wear out. You, you don't have, you can make a few phone calls and say, can you look at my roof? How many, how many years do you think it has left? You can get an expert opinion in no time. So there's a lot of house repairs that are not unanticipated. There's thing okay. There's a couple things like a refrigerator. 
I seem to get blindsided by refrigerators over the years. They 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 tend to not tell you they're not they're not going to work until the, they stop working. I, I'm yet to find a fridge that gives me enough warning that I don't get blindsided by it. But in saying that, I should know how long a fridge lasts. I've, I'm I'm in my fifties. I've had enough fridges. I, I shouldn't be fooled by it. But they, they they last long enough that I am. And then there's things like tires in your car. That's not an emergency. Tires wear out, brakes wear out. You, those are predictable expenses. You, you just have to pay attention, keep records, and know when those things are going to wear out. A job loss, you, you, so quite often a job loss will blindside you. You don't know you're going to lose your job. Even if business conditions are good, you could still lose your job for different reasons. Reorganization, companies restructuring. But if business conditions are poor and just say you're low on the seniority list, you should maybe be a little perceptive and catch on to that. But I'm still saying an emergency fund, if you lose, if someone in your family loses their job, emergency fund, that's what it's for. Use it for that. So, but unanticipated expenses, don't try to fool yourself that, that, that this is an it's poor planning is not an excuse to use your emergency fund. Ooh, that's such a quotable quote from this episode. Poor planning is not an excuse to use your emergency fund. So you you, you described a lot of uh, events that are not that 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 happen that you should be planning for. And so how before we even get into I, I do want to talk to you like what actually qualifies as um, an unanticipated event expense and event. But when we're talking about um, the new roof, the new fridge, how do you account? And so, so, so we, we, we obviously know that's going to happen, whether it's that the new roof, the new tires, how do you account for that in your budget? Is, is there a line there that you, that you kind of accrue money towards? And, and then all of a sudden when the new tires, you just kind of just use that, that lump of money that's being accumulating is, is, is something like that happen in, in your budget? So I, I keep a budget and I keep, I just say I have five years of historical spending, and this is the power of a budget. So I, I, I keep five years of historical spending by category in my budget. So I know over a five-year period, I know how much I've spent on car maintenance. So I, I have a budget line that I put so much aside every month, and it adds up to what I historically spend every year in car maintenance. So th- that's being, I know things are going to wear out. I, uh, I've owned a house for Thirty-five years, I know how long. Like I know historically how much I spend on house maintenance. Now, house maintenance is tends to be lumpier the expenses, so it's a little harder to work with. But I still know, generally speaking, how much I spend on maintenance. Or I can I can plan ahead. I every year I try to. You should. There's. A, I've I've read this. I I believe in this. You should spend about one percent of the value of your home in maintaining it and keeping it upkeep on it. So. If, if you know your house is worth whatever amount, just put aside, you know, 1% and do something to your house for that amount of money to, to, to and I, I, this is a, a gray area, but make sure it's home repair, not home improvement. Those are two different categories. So I'm talking about home repair. Keep your house in good repair. Generally, if you spend a 1% of your home's value, you, you'll, you'll have spent an adequate enough amount of money. So Put that in your budget, 1%. That, that'll generally look after things. So what, in your opinion, then counts as an unanticipated expense? Does the fridge count? And what else would count there? So appliances can catch you by surprise. And 
again, it's 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 all your money. Spend it how you want. But I, I think you know. Okay, so I I had a family, three kids, a dog, and my wife and me, and we had a washer go down, <laughs> and I remember calling the washer repairman and I saying, I don't know if you ever have seen a what a laundry emergency looks like, but but I'm having one, man. I got I got laundry everywhere. And uh, my my washer doesn't work. How soon can you be here? So uh, that was an emergency. And I didn't get any warning from that washer. It was just humming along one day and the next day, nothing. So I, I had to get someone in to fix that. And it turned out I needed a new washer. He come and looked at it and said, you know what? It's not worth it. You need a new one. So I went out and bought one. That was an emergency in my world at the time. I needed a washer and I needed it now. I, did, I didn't have time to save one up. I had clothes everywhere. <laughs> I mean, there was nothing clean in this house. So, and I also had a fridge go on me and this is going way back, but I, I, you can't go without a fridge for very long. I mean, this isn't something, and again, I, there didn't seem to be, I'm yet to have a fridge that starts making noises. They just tend to stop working for me anyway. So those are the kind of things that I I think qualify. And so here's one other thing I had, I had a big picture window in a house and it looked fine and it seemed okay, but it's it it started leaking, and it would if the rain was hitting the front window, literally water was pouring inside the house. That sounds like an emergency. So I, yeah, so so I had someone come look at it, and they said, you know, we can't do anything. You need a new window, and just to look at the window, it didn't look like it was rotting or anything from the outside. So that ended up being an emergency. And I had just moved into the house, so I had didn't really know how old the windows were. I could have guessed. So those are some of the emergencies I've I've had in my life. Here's another one is I, I had a dog he's passed away, but uh, so in Canada, we have public health care. So we don't tend to have medical emergencies, but with a pet, I, I, I if your dog gets sick, you, you've, you've got to look after it. So that was an emergency in my, in my world as well. And all those things, so the window, um, the washer, the refrigerator, and, and, and also your, your pet's health as well. I mean, so we, we, put, we add in our budget for our home and our car. At what level, I mean, how can you be too prepared? At what level could I say to you, oh, was it reasonable to have a line in there for a new fridge eventually or a new washer eventually? Or is that... I guess, yeah, at what, at what point can you kind of be over-prepared and that sometimes you, you can't, can't kind of have money set aside for everything? Well, here's the problem with appliances. You, you don't buy them every year. You don't buy them every two years. Like I, I've had a washer for almost 10 years, so it's really hard to budget for that on a month-to-month, year-to-year basis. It, it, it would seem crazy to have a... If, if you did save up money every month for a new washer, it in essence would be a, a washing machine emergency fund, which is kind of too specific. So why not just put that into your your overarching emergency fund? No, I like that. So appliances, is there any kind of other, if we were kind of make a broad and, list. And here, here's here's a point is just say you, you, you constantly use your emergency fund for not emergencies. Like just say you use it for Christmas, every Christmas. Well, it's not like it's free money. You're going to have to rebuild that emergency fund after you spend it. So it's not like it's free money. You're just, you're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. No, definitely, definitely. And so so if we're going to kind of make a quick list of, of things that are maybe safe bets to use our emergency funds on, we have appliances or any other categories where you're like, yeah, that deems, that deems um, 
reasonable or is this kind of an idea is this kind of an area emergency funds where there it's gray is it is this a gray you have to kind of look at the the picture because uh, here's what i'm thinking i'm thinking it's probably easy to lose your mind on what qualifies because in the moment if it's if it's christmas time and and you're buying presents and and things are sneaking up on you i mean that can look anything it's perspective right anything can look pretty dire in the time if you don't have your head screwed on right yeah, you, you can't lose your mind. But I mean, if, if you have a documented budget and you're monitoring it monthly, you and you have a really good handle on your finances, I, I think you'll use a, an emergency fund for the appropriate emergency. To start with, it should only be, be used for, your emergency fund should always relate to your survival expenses, none, not your comforts of life. So Christmas is definitely a comfort of life. An iPhone is not an emergency. Actually, you know what? <laughs> um, you know, I don't have a home phone. If my phone died today and I didn't have any money for a phone, just just say I dropped it and it broke. That would be tragic, but just say it happened. I would I would need a new phone. I got I I think I would use an emergency fund to replace my phone. Not having a home phone. Now, if I had a home phone. And I got a phone at work, you know, I, I probably don't need a, an iPhone. But if, if I don't have a home phone, I think you really like, because you're going to use that in the event of emergency. Say there was a medical emergency and you don't have a phone, that, that, that'd be horrific, right? So I, I think in today's day and age, that, that almost fits into the survival expense mode. I can already hear some listeners saying, but Trevor, you don't really need an iPhone in that scenario. I can, I can, already, I can already hear that. Well, you need a phone of some yes. kind. You need a communication device. <laughs> An iPhone is just, it's just nice. So, okay, I, I like that. I like that. And, and it sounds like you have to be honest with yourself and and very, very, yeah, I guess honest with yourself is the way I would I would put it in that you can't get carried away. You have to be, you have to be real. You, you, you can't, you can't kind of justify anything as falling under, under an emergency expense. I mean, abusing your emergency fund is kind of like cheating on a diet. You're the only one that's going to lose. Ooh, I like that. Yes. Yes, that's a great analogy. So uh, the next section is who needs an emergency fund, which we are following up with how to build and manage an emergency fund, and then who doesn't need one. And this, the the who needs one and who doesn't need one, like Trevor was saying earlier, is something that has varied from our previous emergency fund episode, which we must have done about a year ago. It's, it's been a while since we've recorded um, an emergency fund episode. So Trevor, you have seven things things, seven items here um, for individuals who need an emergency fund. Do you have to qualify for all seven of these to be eligible to to benefit from an emergency fund? No, I think if, if, if you had any of these, you would, um, if, if, if you, if any of these characteristics sounds like you, then you should have an emergency fund. So let's, let's start off with number one. Number one is negative net worth. Um, having debt in your life adds risk. So if you, if you, a negative net worth means if, if you add up all of your assets or all of the things you own that you could sell for money, so that, you know, sort of give an appraisal on your, your house, your car, your RV, your $65,000 truck, <laughs> um, all the things you own that you could sell, you, you add up the value of all those and then you add up all the money you owe, and it could be you owe on all those things, or you, or, or you owe on some of them. So you take the, what your things are worth minus what you owe on them, 
and and then any investments you have. And that, that kind of represents at a very high level your net worth. If your net worth is negative, so generally you owe more than you own, then I, I think you need an, uh, an emergency fund without question. I, I mean, you, you already have a ton of risk in your life by having a negative net worth. So if you were to lose your job, clearly you have a lot of debt you're trying to finance and service. Without an emergency fund, you're, you're basically, they're coming to repossess everything you own. When we when we do look at when we are are we looking at what we what we own and what we owe? Are you at all suggesting that liquefying our assets in an emergency is is that a last case scenario, or should, is that just a good kind of mathematical equation to assess if we need an emergency fund? Well, like I said, with your expensive car or truck, if if you lost your job, you're going to convince yourself at the beginning that this is temporary. And you're going to find another job. But I mean, if the economy is in a tailspin and everyone's losing their job, I don't like your chances of getting a job. So the sooner you come to realize that this is uh, long term, I mean, in life, everything is temporary at some level. But the the sooner you come to realize that this is not temporary and any job I'm going to get is not going to be enough to cover my $1,200 truck payment, then in the short term, you should probably sell it. No, that makes sense. So uh, the second person category or individual who um, would benefit from an emergency fund is uh, relative those with relative low income. Yeah, so if you are making minimum wage, you, you're generally very close to the financial edge, I mean, meaning you, all your income is basically going to survival needs. And there's very little savings, if any, involved. So if, if that is your scenario... You need emergency fund more than anybody because uh, missing one paycheck could be missing a meal, right? So you, you, if you have a relatively low income, meaning your minimum wage or really close to minimum wage, uh, I would say a, a minimum uh, an uh, emergency fund is paramount. You, you, you need that more than anybody I know. And we are going to talk in the next section about how that actually how that actually happens and how that wealth can actually accumulate um, when that might feel very, very challenging uh, with that low income. So we will we will kind of touch back again on that point. Number three is a homeowner. A homeowner should be someone um, who has an emergency fund. Again, if you own your home, I mean, you're, I, when I say homeowner, I'm talking about somebody who's, who has a mortgage. You're, you're buying a home. So if, you, if you're buying a Paying, paying off a home, then I think you need an emergency fund because you basically have the biggest debt you're going to have ever in your life. And every I, I've always said, when you have debt in your life, you have risk. So missing a mortgage payment, I'm going to say maybe you don't lose your house missing your first mortgage payment, but you might lose your house missing your third mortgage payment. At some point, the bank's going to lose confidence in you and, and take your home. So if you have a mortgage and you have a home, I think an emergency fund, I mean, the first thing you should do if you lose your job is is buy food and, and make sure everyone is has medication or whatever they need to survive. The next thing you need is a roof over your head, and that is, generally means paying your mortgage. So if you have a mortgage and a home, uh, you need an emergency fund. Uh, it, it's got to be top of the list important. 
The next item that, or the next individual who would benefit from having an emergency fund is an individual who owns a car or a vehicle. And even if you own the car, for forget that you, maybe you own it outright. You don't even have car payments. So you just, you're not borrowing money to buy it. A car just represents a lot of financial risk in terms of unanticipated expenses. You know, back to that thing. Cars are money pits. I mean, they just, things go wrong with cars. That's what they do. From the minute you get a car, it's dying. From the minute you get your brand new car and drive it off the lot, things are wearing out as you speak. That, that That's what metal on metal does. Cars wear out. They are just, they they go down in value for a reason. It's because they are being consumed every time you turn the key. So I, I think if you own a car and I'm going to say you can own a car and not have an emergency fund, but you, we're going to get to, when you get to the, when we get to the section where the people that don't need emergency fund, I'm going to say most of the people own cars, but if you own a car and have any other debt in your life, I, I think you need an emergency fund. Number six of seven is those with significant number of dependents. So I threw the number six and seven, but I'm sure a significant number of dependents can still be two or three. So I had a family, I had three kids and a dog and a wife and myself. And when you have that many people in your life, the things you, you, it's hard to keep your, your thumb on top of everything. There's a lot of moving pieces and a lot. Communication is a great thing when it actually happens. And quite often you, you, you don't learn about things until the last minute. And when you have kids and you find out kids can, can, there's a lot of surprises in your life. So I think it's good to have like, I remember one of my kids, every, everybody seems to ever get their, need to get their wisdom teeth out. And I remember my youngest daughter, she, she, we went to the dentist, they took x-rays and said, oh, she's going to need her wisdom teeth out at some point. Just keep an eye on them. And, you know, if they start bothering her and getting infected, you know, come in and see us and we'll reevaluate. And my youngest daughter, she did not complain about her teeth until they got infected. And the... The cost of getting wisdom teeth out is, is fairly expensive, and I have a benefit plan where I work, but it doesn't cover all of the costs of getting the wisdom teeth out. So that ended up being a an emergency. But it, the reason it was an emergency, it was the the lack of communication with my daughter. She just she just sort of thought it was a toothache. She didn't really realize it was her wisdom teeth getting infected. And by the time we realized how how far it had progressed, we had to act quick. So that ended up being an emergency in my life. But that's an example how. The more kids you have in your life, the more uncertainty, the more sort of things can go wrong. I don't know if I'm skipping ahead when I ask this question, but I mean, as a parent yourself, I'm sure we, we as a parent, I, I can imagine you want to do everything for your kid. You want to be there. You want to make sure that they, they experience all the experiences. How tough was that when, when things came up to, to kind of prioritize if that's an emergency? I mean, things like uh, just experiences that they would maybe be able to experience just just anything and everything that that happened was was that something you and your wife kind of navigated um pretty pretty um effectively or and, and what about our listeners i mean what kind of examples maybe come up that you ha- kind of have to really um keep your guard up as hard as it may be well it, when it comes to health it, it's really easy to commit your emergency funds to it like you would you don't even hesitate but you know, you would, you would absolutely pull out your credit card to solve that one in a heartbeat too. Right. So it's, but it was comforting to have the emergency fund to cover that. It was just one less 
thing to stress about. You know, we could focus on, on getting my daughter comfortable and, and, and getting that, that issue solved. And the last point on who needs an emergency fund is those with known credit issues. So this is if you, if you have a chronic debt problem, meaning you, you, you like to use your credit card to enjoy life. If, if that's something you've done, and just say you've, you've solved that and you've, that, that, that was the old you and the new you is more financially responsible, but you know you're susceptible to it. I've said this before. When you have a little bit of debt in your life, a little bit more tends to not change your life a whole bunch. So if you tend to carry a balance in your credit card and, and you, you're comfortable with that, then putting a little bit more on your credit card generally isn't that concerning to those individuals. So if you have a known credit problem, meaning you, you, you struggle to use a credit card responsibly and you tend to carry a balance periodically, then having a credit card as a solution to life's problems is, is going to just be a slippery slope for you. So that was the seven. Well, actually, there was there was one more. There was one more that you skipped over, and it was number five. Oh it yeah, was unsta- unstable employment. I did. Yes, unstable employment. Yeah, and I'm going to say if you, and I'm going to call unstable employment if you have a new job where you where you just you just started at a new job. That that's somebody who really needs a hefty emergency fund because quite often jobs not quite often but occasionally jobs don't work out. They're just not a good fit. And you might be miserable in this job or unhappy. And if just think you took this job and you thought it was going to be great, but it turned out to be horrible and you have a six month emergency fund. Well, just, just say you endure it as long as you can. And you say, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. I need to look for another job. Well, it is really hard to look for a job when you have a full-time job. I mean, it, it becomes really challenging. So if the job just becomes unbearable to know you could quit and you got a six-month buffer to find another job, and assuming you have some marketable skills, that that would be pretty comforting. The other one would be is if you have seasonal employment. So a lot of, there's people that have you know they they work at a golf course, or they some other seasonal thing, and then they they have a, a solution every summer. They have this this job, but in the winter, it's kind of sporadic. You know, one winter they did snow removal and. Another winter, they 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 worked in a store somewhere. Like, so, so tip, people with seasonal employment, they tend to have one season guaranteed, but the off season tends to be random. So, if you're that, if you have that kind of employment, you you really need a, a solid emergency fund. I I actually I, I that's maybe one of my favorite points within that list, and it also I think speaks to back to uh, the purpose of an emergency fund number three on, on that list of purposes might just be that we sleep better at night, that, that we, we don't live in fear of, of unstable employment or, or we're more willing to kind of take that unstable employment opportunity because we know we will be okay because we have that emergency fund. Well, I can tell you firsthand that the, I slept a lot more soundly having a six month emergency fund versus using my credit card to solve problems. Like, Having six months of survival expenses in the bank, especially when I had a young family, I slept really well at night knowing that. So when we look at this list of seven, are 
if, if if I if I'm looking at this list, which will be in our show notes, by the way. So if I'm looking at it and I qualify for all seven, am I doing something a little bit differently? I know we're going to cover the cover in the next section, but should should I be do something? Do you do something differently if you qualify for one verse seven? Well, I think if if you qualify for all seven, I think you're probably going to be going to that emergency fund more often than, than somebody who, who only qualifies for, say, three of these. If, if all seven of these describes you really well, you're probably a frequent user of emergency fund. Which makes, again, having an emergency fund, building it, rebuilding it, that much more important. So this, I think this is the kind of the most key, most uh, most important section within this episode. This is how to build and manage. And I want to throw in rebuild an emergency fund. So Trevor, you kind of have five points here. And uh, let's start, let's start with number one. So number one is, uh, so for how to build and manage an emergency fund, make it a line item in your budget. Yeah. So it, it starts with, you, you can't even begin to save an emergency fund unless you have identified or earmarked money to put aside. So make it a a, non, a non-discretionary expense line in your budget, meaning of all the, all, here's all your income, here's all your expenses. One of them is build an emergency fund. It has to be. And you you might have to, you know, discontinue your cable package until you get that emergency fund built. You may have to reduce your dining out budget until you get that emergency fund built. It, it, it has to be a requirement. But once it's built, then you can, I wouldn't take the line out of your budget, but you can stop allocating money to it. So as a listener, I have a really, really hard time with this point. You're telling me that I need to allocate money towards something that doesn't feel urgent, doesn't feel immediate. There feels like a million other things that I can allocate that money to instead. I mean, this point, Trevor, it's, 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 it's valid. Do not get me wrong. It is necessary. It is valid. It's needed. But how hard is that in actuality to practice allocating money towards something that there's no, there's no real pressure. There's no pressure there. There's no, there's no make it act and make it happen action there. So I think if you were to ask everyone listening to this podcast, have you ever had an emergency in your life? Every single person, I think you get every single person, 100% of the people would say, yes, I've had an emergency. So if everyone's had an emergency and if you ask everyone, do you think you'll have another emergency come up in your life? I think the answer, honest answer would be yes. A hundred percent would say yes. So if you think about this is money for something you know is going to happen, you just don't know when and you don't know what. So that one, if you know it's coming, Murphy's Law, something's going to go wrong, it always, it, I'd hate to be a pessimist, it doesn't always go wrong, but I don't know anybody who has never, I, I, you talk to people all the time, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, how'd you, what did you do last weekend? Well, you have to leave this, you know, my, my lawnmower stopped working, you know, and my grass is going to seed. <laughs> Like you, emergencies happen to everybody. I, I think you, so the, you're, you're saving for something that you know is going to happen. You just don't know what. Or when. Or when, yeah. So, but you know it's going to happen. It's, this, so this isn't for a maybe or a might or, you know, it, it could happen. It will. This is going to happen. You just don't know what and you just don't know when. I like that. I like that change in reframing of perspective. 
because it makes this this it's like a, it's like a toolbox. You know that it's there. You can always rely on it. And and the money in it won't expire. It's not going anywhere. It's just sitting there, uh, for, not for a rainy day, but for an emergency. I like to call it sleep medication <laughs> as well, because <laughs> it really does help you sleep. You know, knowing you got a buffer from life. No, I. That's yeah. That's that's so accurate. So that's number one. Make it align in your budget. The second kind of area. Um, when we're talking about how to build and manage an emergency fund is stop all savings and aggressive debt repayment until you have $1,000. Trevor, this point, this point baffles me. I, I need an explanation. So I want to say these are in order and I probably should have numbered them, but these go in order. So it starts with the line out in your budget. Then the next thing is save $1,000. And I, the reason I come up with $1,000 is $1,000 will solve a lot of life's problems. Not all of them, but it will solve a lot of them, or it will go a long way to contributing to solving a lot of life problems. So $1,000 in the bank, this is good. This is two things. So once you get $1,000 in the bank, and say you went from never being able to save money to having $1,000 in the bank, so that is like a, a launching pad. Once you see that in your account, you're just motivated to build on it. So it's, it's a motivator. It feels like a win. And it's once you know how you feel when you have that buffer, you just begin to be motivated to do more of it. Now I say stop aggressive debt repayment. That's how important this is. So just say you have consumer debt. I'm saying make your minimum debt payments, but but stop you know aggressive debt repayment until you have the thousand dollars in the bank. Because what's going to happen is if if you are aggressively paying off debt and then an emergency arrives. You're just going to go back deeper into debt to solve it. So by having a thousand dollars there, the, it won't it won't derail your debt elimination process if you in fact have a debt problem. So that that's part of it. So a thousand dollars it's it's like a launching pad to to want to save more. It, it it solves a lot of life's problems. And if you have a relatively low income, this could be your fully funded emergency fund. Wow, that I just I mean, reading it, stop all savings and aggressive debt repayment. It makes sense. It just it's so counterintuitive because I mean, we should want to save, we should want to aggressively pay back debt. But I mean, the math makes sense there. And when we when I know you thousand dollars, you said that should be the starting point for everyone. Um, but again, if I mean, if you have more dependents, if, if you have more of the seven items we just discussed, that a thousand dollars might might not take you as far, d just depending. But I'm saying the thousand dollars is like st stop all comforts of life until you get the thousand dollars. I mean, this is this is mission critical that you have a thousand dollars set aside. This is you need a thousand dollars set aside to solve all life's problems, and it's more important than any comfort of life you have. So number three is aggressively build up three to six months of survival expenses. So again, this is an order, like Trevor said, so we've already built up $1,000. Now we are, and I'm, I'm sure the word aggressively there is used there very particularly. So what are, what are we doing in step number three here? Are we, are we back to um, paying off debt as per normal? Or are, we, is that, are we just kind of hammering everything to that three to six months? So th this is something that's, 
you you've got it as a line. This is where you it's a line item in your budget, but it, it's it's not near as aggressive as, as it was when you're building a thousand dollars. You can still have some comforts in life, but this is this is important. This is not something you're doing. This is something you're doing at, with every single paycheck. You are building up this emergency fund. These survival expenses, three to six months. Remember, su- survival expenses. Even if you're spending everything you make, just say that's that's a horrible outcome. But just say you spend every penny you earn. Every penny you spend is not going towards your survival expenses. So your your survival expenses are smaller than you think. So this isn't as insurmountable as people would would at first blush think this, you know, this is going to take forever. I'm going to say this may take, I don't know, a year. It may take, if this took longer than two years, you're not going at it aggressively enough. So give yourself 18 months maximum. You should be able to build this up if you make it important enough. But the thousand dollars, you need to do that like ASAP. There's this that is a bare minimum. Get that in the bank. Then aggressively, I'm going to say eighteen months, twenty four months tops to to get a fully funded three to six months. And I give three to six months. It really depends on you know when I said who needs an emergency fund. If you have really unstable employment you probably want six months. You know, if you have a really, if you've been in the same job for 20 years and, and you have a ton of seniority and you, you don't think you're, you know, you're, you're going to be the last guy to get laid off, then you probably are closer to three months. So that kind of, what you just said there speaks to... Well, and, and if you have, if it's just two people, like a couple versus a family of five, so a family of five, you probably want closer to six months survival expenses. And then if you, it's just two people, you could be, you know, shade more to the three months. And, and that speaks to what you just said there. Um, it speaks to the point earlier that I said we come back to, but the relative low income. So regardless of your income, like Trevor said, when you do look at your kind of your survival expenses, it is it is something that, that can happen just, just based on stripping everything down. And I don't, I'm going to slide this in here because I, I, think, I think it's an appropriate time, but when when there's a will there's a way i mean if you have if you definitely qualify for all seven of um the criteria where you you should have a uh, emergency fund i mean if you have a family and a house and a car and and just a bunch of things that might push you a little bit harder to make sure that you're not in the hole if something happens so i think i think necessity is the mother of invention through all of this yeah it definitely is and if you the first time you use your emergency fund for a real live emergency, you will be a true believer from that day forward. I guarantee it. So number four of five about how to build and manage an emergency fund is have the discipline to not spend it on non-emergencies. Trevor, how common? I mean, it's 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 easy to say, it rolls all the tongue, but how how common do you think it is that that we we justify, we make up excuses and reasons to, to spend our emergency fund on non-emergencies. I mean, it's a pool of money sitting there. It must be, it must be tempting. So here's an example that happened to me. So I had a, a daughter who was in a, a dance school and there was a, a big recital and it was going to be going on at this really fancy theater in our town. And we found out at the last minute that she needed this outrageously expensive dance outfit. I'm talking, this is like, I've seen wedding dresses that cost less. <laughs> it was outrageously expensive. And we didn't find out to the last minute, you know, just 
and it wasn't us, it was the dance school that didn't tell people at the, till the last minute what it actually, that you needed it and this is how much it costs. I actually thought they were providing this stuff for <laughs> what it costs to send my daughter to this dance school. I thought it would have included costumes, right? But it turned out it didn't. And, and so we actually tried to convince ourselves that this was an emergency because my daughter needed a dance outfit. And, and we bounced it around and... And what we ended up doing is it, we finally come to the realization that this is not an emergency. It's not a survival expense, but we still have to buy this dance outfit. And so what we did is we made some adjustments in the comforts of life expenses. So we we flexed our budget and said, well, we you know we won't go out to eat this month, and we won't um, you know we won't go to any movies, and we 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 all took took one for the team and sort of tighten our belts for a month and we ended up finding the money to to buy this dance outfit but at first blush we said this is an an emergency without question right and it really wasn't so having the discipline to not spend to start with you the first thing you want to do is when when things come up and, and opportunities present themselves you're going to want to borrow from your emergency fund that's that's definitely not an option and it's, it's so it, it's going to take a discipline to know the money's there and you can't spend it on just fun stuff. So it's actually a skill you're going to build up and a discipline you're going to build up. It don't it don't feel bad if if you always feel the temptation to use that money. Just build up the discipline to not do it. Because I, I I'm glad you said that because I'm thinking about it. And if if, if any of our listeners or anyone who knows someone who's listened to this and, and, and knows that $1,000 is a lot to save up. I mean, that in itself, put put building a full-fledged emergency fund aside, but building up $1,000, like that's not an easy feat for, for a, a majority of individuals. So I think, yeah, the emphasis should definitely be on how big of a, an accomplishment of an achievement that that alone is. But don't underestimate the the discipline is going to require to not spend that money oh, on yes. non-emergencies. That's going to take a lot of discipline. Every time something fun or something shiny shows up in your your life, you're gonna you're just gonna have to forget that money exists. Which leads us to our next point and our final point about how to build and manage an emergency fund is make that emergency fund money accessible, but not too accessible. So, what does this look like? So like with, with online banking, this is becoming harder and harder. But at one time, you could have a bank account and not have it attached to any plastic card of any kind and not have it attached to checks. So you can't write a check. You can't use a debit card to access this money. It's in a bank account. And the only way to get it was to physically walk in the bank and, and do a withdrawal. There was a time in life where banking worked like that. Well, I actually don't think you, you can do that now. I, I don't know of a scenario in my banking life where I could not have, you know, transfer that money on my phone to an account where I could access it with a debit card. So it, I, I think it's impossible to do that today, but that's how we structured our emergency fund back in the day is the only way we could get that money is to physically walk in the bank and do a withdrawal. So that made it, fairly inaccessible like it made it inconvenient so the best i can say is is get this money in a really inconvenient place and if it comes with a a debit card put the debit card in your freezer or something make it so it's really hard to use make it so 
if you want to use this money for anything, you're going to have to really, really want it. So inaccessible, um, but accessible at the same time. Because when an emergency comes up, you don't want to be waiting two weeks to get the money. You, you, when, you need, when the emergency arises, you need the money, you need it now. So it has to be accessible, but not convenient. So those are how to build an emergency fund, but what about managing it? So when emergency does come up and we do either completely drain or or drain a little bit, I mean, my question is, what kind of motivation, what kind of determination, what kind of drive and how aggressively should we be turning to rebuild that back up? Depending on the emergency that happened, I mean, um, the loss of a pet or, or, or a kind of more more... I don't want to call it traumatic, but more kind of um, concerning emergencies that come up. I mean, how do we kind of turn the switch back on and, and kind of motivate ourselves to build that right back up? And how do we stay motivated when we're kind of disappointed that it's been drained? So the beauty of this is it becomes self-serving. So the minute you use an emergency fund for a real live emergency, a real life emergency, when you actually use it, the motivation to rebuild it is instantaneous because you were so thankful it was there. So the first time I used my emergency fund for a real emergency, I, I, I couldn't build that emergency fund up fast enough. Like I needed zero motivation to, to do it. So whenever you use it for a legit emergency, you don't have to worry about that. That, that, that part's easy. So what I'm underhearing from, from kind of this section is that you kind of have to live through it live by yourself this is one of the things that we we can sit here uh you and me and and kind of share with the listener and share with others that this is something that is great to do great to have great to have on hand but until you actually live it firsthand you won't actually know it's kind of like being a parent i'm sure you you can kind of tell people what it is like to be a parent and and in all the things but until you are a parent or until you live through an emergency you won't actually know the extent to which um all of this is necessary well, for the average person, it's going to take a, a scare to, to develop this. For most people, unfortunately, it's going to take a, a real-life event and a scare thinking you're almost out of credit, and if another problem comes, you're, you're screwed, right? So the, that's, that's what it's, for the average person, that's what it's going to take. But hopefully the people listening to this podcast, they already have one, or just I, I, somebody else's story might be enough to, to motivate you. But quite often, it's going to take just life to, to, to motivate you to do it. So the final section, and this, again, is something new that has never been seen in an emergency fund episode recorded here at Simple Money Solutions. And this part is dedicated to who doesn't need an emergency fund. And, and, and like Trevor said, this is recently kind of a new developed idea um, inspired by uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And I mean, with the seven points that we covered above, you're, I mean, I was left scratching my head wondering how, how, who even fits into this category, but there are five points. So um, in, in no particular order, um, we have number one. So positive net worth with no debt. So I just want to start by saying I currently, in my current financial situation, do not have an emergency fund. And I, I, the reason I don't is I qualify as my description and kind of based on Mr. Money Mustache's description, he uses just straight math to, to figure out that, that, that if you are progressed far enough in your financial life and you are approaching financial independence, 
you are what I would call self-insured. So if your emergency fund represents insurance in the bank, right, it's an insurance fund that you've built yourself, then once you reach a point where you spend dramatically less, like I'll say if you spend 50% of what you earn in any given month, given a good, a reasonable amount of income and a really low expense, you, you have a month-to-month emergency fund at your disposal, meaning your income is going to be the equivalent of your emergency fund. So you, meaning you have, you're saving what equates to your survival expenses every month. If you're in that financial situation, you in essence are self-insured. So as like when we talked about who needs an emergency fund, who doesn't need an emergency fund? I mean, I think you have to be pretty honest with yourself um, to, to, to know if you even qualify for this because if, if you're not honest with yourself, you, by my guess, will, will end up short when an emergency does arise. True, yes, yes. So, I mean, uh, we haven't dived into the points yet, but in not knowing that you do not have an emergency fund, do you feel because you want well, you once did because you did qualify for the uh, the the seven points? Do you feel do you sleep as sound every night and um, and as confidently knowing that you you don't need one because of these points we're about to talk about? Is 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 anything really changed? Or you just you've just shifted from um from needing one to not needing one? Well, so I'm in a situation where I'm saving. I, I, I'm living on fifty percent of my household income. And one thing this does is, is I, I know that that represents my emergency fund. So it actually motivates me to continue to not let my spending get a control and continue to live on 50% of my household income. So that, and this, this is really so clear. My whole life, I've not been like this. Just in my, uh, as I become an empty nester and a lot of my expenses have gone away, you know, I don't have a mortgage, don't have a car payment. I don't have any kids living at home. I just haven't added expenses to my life as those expenses left my life. So, and so if I didn't, so this is kind of a, not that I need motivation, but this would be a motivator to continue down that path, knowing if I added expenses to my life, then I would have to start building an emergency fund. So it's kind of, it kind of becomes a self motivator to continue to live well below my means. No. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's let's jump into this list. So number one um, is positive net worth with no debt. So remember, you need all of these traits to qualify in my world to not need an emergency fund. So a positive net worth means you your assets exceed the value of your liabilities or your debts. So if in the event of emergency, you could sell off a bunch of your assets and satisfy your debts. So you, meaning you just say you uh, just say you had a, a loan on a on a a boat and you you had some investments like a TFSAs you could sell your TFSAs cash them in and pay off your boat. You know that's an example where you have a positive net worth. So that, that's how you would use your positive net worth as an emergency fund in essence, right? So it, it, it acts, a positive net worth acts like an emergency fund in itself. So the second one is you earn significantly more than you spend. So you kind of spoke to this, Trevor, but 
when when did you feel it, was it just the 50 percent you you kind of were spending um just 50 percent of your income was that kind of the 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 telltale sign that in the bell that went off in your head yeah so 50 percent of your when you when you get to the point where you're saving 50 percent of your household income then i i think that is the the threshold for me that that's when i felt comfortable not having a, an emergency fund and i just want to go back to the positive net worth so Mr. Money Mustache in his video, he one of his theories is is if you're an advanced financial independence person, meaning you you've you've you're you're somewhat financially independent, if not completely financially independent, you just say you have equity in your home. He's suggesting you could you you could have a a home equity line of credit, which I'm I'm not a fan of. But again, if you're financially if you got to financial independence early in life, you don't obviously don't have a debt problem. So he's saying you could have a, a home equity line of credit. And if an emergency arose, just say your fridge stopped working, you could borrow the money against the equity in your home, replace your fridge, and then because your income is so much bigger than your expenses, you 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 could pay off that home equity line of credit that month or the very next month, and you're back to to zero, right? So that's the idea of the the positive net worth, and and the so I'm kind of piecing them together. So now earn you. For this, that example I gave you to work, you need a positive net worth and you need to have at least 50% of your net worth going to savings. Third of five points. And number three is you do not have credit issues. So I describe a situation where you would have a home equity line of credit and that you could use that to solve a uh, a crisis, a, you know, a financial event that come up in your life, uh, uh, an emergency. And if you had issues of of falling back into debt and, and falling victim to shiny things and borrowing money, if, if you knew you were susceptible to that, then having a home equity of credit available to you could be very tempting to go and get that boat of your dreams or that RV that you always wanted. So having credit at your disposal to solve problems, it, it, so long you have the discipline that you're not going to use it irresponsibly, that's fine. But if you have struggled with with credit over your life then having a home equity credit is probably not a good solution so again you don't struggle with with debt or credit like it's not something that entices you it, it actually repels you that that's this that's a, the mindset you need to have and and when we speak to that point i'm convinced that a lot of individuals could become um, kind of a credit averse because like you always say Trevor when you have credit um, and you a little bit more isn't going to kind of push the needle but when you rid yourself of consumer debt or any kind of credit you're a little bit hesitant to engage in and in, in, in having credit so I I think well maybe in, some individuals are more tempted by credit I th- would it be fair to say that um, individuals could potentially reach this point regardless if they maybe have a credit challenge or credit issue at the at this very moment you know the thing i say about credit is you have no idea how much weight you are carrying how much weight you're carrying on your shoulders having credit you you think it it doesn't weigh on you but when it's gone when you have no debt no mortgage no car payment no no debts of any kind the freedom you feel is only people who are debt free really could understand that. It is it is dramatic. I'm not I'm not exaggerating at all. When I became debt free, I felt so so free. I I felt, I felt so 
unweighed down. I mean, I, I, I don't know that you can describe it. Is if you've had debt your whole life and then you go to having no debt, you owe nobody anything. It is so freeing. So I, I can't underestimate how, I mean, this is a little off topic, but that it is dramatic. I, before I move on to the fourth one, I want to skip back to point number two. Um, when you, so I'm just thinking, I, I mean, 50% is a lot to kind of spend 50%, save 50%. Is that the mathematical equation you think that would only qualify for this point? If if, if a listener is listening to this right now and they, they, they generally do spend less than they earn, is that enough? Or do we have to... Um, significant, like like you said, is is that is that word very key in in point number two? Well, fifty percent is kind of on the low side, but I, I've put that as the bare minimum. And if you think about your your expenses in your budget, this would assume that fifty percent of your expenses are discretionary and fifty percent are non discretionary. You know, I mean, if you think of it that way, that's highly unlikely, right? You your your non discretionary expenses are probably a lot larger. And and so in an event of an emergency, those are the expenses you're trying to cover. So a 50% savings rate may not even be enough, right, to cover those. So, uh, but I'm still, I'm saying that is the minimum threshold. Okay. So to move... And and I just remember, to to not have an emergency fund, to, to consider yourself somebody who doesn't need one, all of these points need to be present. Not, you were this, this isn't just you know, one, two, or three, this is all of them. And and to, to contrast that, when, when we talk about who does need one, like we said, you could just qualify for one or two um, or even all seven, but if, if as long as you do qualify for one, you, you do need an emergency fund. So moving on to who doesn't, point number four of five for who doesn't need an emergency fund is very stable employment. So Trevor, this point sounds a little subjective. What, what do you, what kind of qualifies as very stable? So I'm going to say you've been in your job for a long period of time. And the reason it's twofold. So you've been in your job for a long period of time. So the longer you have a job, the less likely you are going to, you are to lose that job being it bad performance or Every every year you work there, you're building up more seniority. They tend to in a, in an economic slowdown, they tend to work off a seniority base list when they get rid of people. But just say they didn't. Just say this time, you know, the economy's gone into a recession and we have to downsize. We're going to get rid of the older people and keep the the, the young people who the who have a, a longer career for their employer. Well, if you have worked somewhere for a long period of time, you're probably entitled to a pretty good severance package. In Canada, at least, there's there's some labor laws that sort of dictate the minimum amount you're, you're entitled to. So your severance package ends up being a, like an emergency fund in the event of a job loss. So remember, there's only two reasons you need an emergency fund. One is job loss, and the other one is, is unanticipated expenses. Well, the job loss one tends to be more catastrophic to your financial life. So having... Uh, very stable employment or long-term employment, you you end up, the longer you work there, so just say you work somewhere there for 25 years, your severance payout would be uh, more than uh, the average emergency fund. So I, I think that stable employment is, is a requirement for sure for, for those two reasons. And the final point on our list of who doesn't need an emergency fund is um, an individual with no dependents. And when I say no dependents, 
I, I, I'm saying this is just say there's like a couple, a husband and a wife. I'm saying you're an empty nester. Your your kids have moved on. They're self sufficient. They're they're they they have their own emergency fund. Not to say you wouldn't help them in the event of emergency, but but they are self sustained. They have a jobs income. They they have a financial life of their own. They're kind of off the payroll. I'll say in air quotes. <laughs> so if you if you have dependents though, you have your life is more fluid. There's there's more things that could come up. I mentioned the thing with the wisdom teeth in my family. So. You, there's just uncertainty, more uncertainty with dependence. So that that one, you know, I'm kind of on the fence on the one with dependence. If you if you save fifty percent of your income and you have dependence, you probably still don't. You, you probably don't need an emergency fund. So I'm going to say that one is debatable. Because when I also think of dependents as well, uh, anyone living in a sandwich generation where they have um, uh, uh, parents or parent-in-laws as well as their kids, I mean, that and, and you're maybe providing or supporting or aiding um, both on either end. I mean, that, that also could, could um, qualify as an emergency per se. And I want to go back to this. So the Mr. Money Mustache video about, you know, you don't really need an emergency fund. His his whole thing is based, and most of the things he does is kind of based on math. He he thinks, and he he is actually talking to people who are pursuing financial independence, and they don't they don't have any of the behavioral flaws that that get people in financial trouble. So just know that he he's talking it from a from pure mathematics. If if these if these things are present, meaning primarily you have a a significantly more income than your expenses, you probably don't need an emergency fund. But if you are, like I mentioned, if you're susceptible to credit and going back into debt, then that may not work for you. So his, I'll, I'll we'll link to the video, but just know his is, it's, his is purely math based. He's assuming there's no behavioral concerns to be, to be addressed. No, and I, I'm glad you noted that because when obviously everyone listening to this knows that there is a huge behavioral piece and that our emotions can overtake logic sometimes as well. Well, we always say that personal finance is 10% math, 90% behavior. And if you can conquer the behavior side, then clearly you only get 10% of the, of the struggles, right? So it becomes easy. Definitely. So that brings us to the very end of today's show on emergency funds. This is our emergency fund revisited episode. We went from what is an emergency fund, the purpose of an emergency fund, who needs an emergency fund, how to build, manage, and rebuild an emergency fund. And finally, we concluded with who doesn't need an emergency fund. The notes from the show will be in the show notes so you can refer back to them. Any questions, comments, or perspectives, we would love to hear them. But you can reach out to us always through our email, livelifesimple365 at gmail.com or through our contacts and motion form at livelifesimple.ca. And on that note, that brings us to the very end of today's show. Thank you so much for joining us on this emergency fun-filled episode. We can't wait to see you back here next week with a brand new episode. Until then, keep it simple.